tonight, warm summer night. For those of you who are listening online, we welcome you guys as well. We know you're there. Uh, if you are visiting with us, we're glad to have you have you guys here tonight. You're actually catching us sort of in the middle or at the end of a series. Not sure. Depends on how far we get with it tonight. But we've been talking about something. Uh, we started talking about it last week, uh, and it's something that that kind of triggered for me as I was listening to a couple other series. I was listening to a series by Andy Stanley, another series by a guy named Pete Wilson, and they were talking about this idea of something that we all do, and it's this idea of comparing our lives and where we're at with other people to see if we measure up. You know, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? I just look to my, you know, look to my left and look to my right and see, you know, hey, you know how's my marriage? How's my life doing? And so we started just being uh, last week of just making us aware that we do compare, making us aware that we do compare. And, and we learned last week that when you measure up and try and look to people that you think, oh, those people are, they're, they're better than me. You're trying to measure up to them. You, be, you, you feel inferior, and it's, it's a loss. And then, and then you decide, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. I'll, I'll just measure down instead, because it's so much easier to look at people who are much, you know, they're much poorer than I am. They're much, you know, I'm much smarter than they are. You know, I, I weigh way less than those people do, right? It's, you begin to look down, and, and you feel superior, and yet you still lose. You still feel this loss, and you lose relationship, you lose joy in your life, you lose a sense of gratitude in your life. And so as we went through the, um, through the Bible, we found a whole bunch of stories of, of people that were comparing their lives with one another, and the relationships were all broken up because of it. We learned that comparison leads directly to envy and jealousy, and that that's just awful for us on the inside. But we also learned this. It wasn't all negative. At the end, we learned that God, as a, as a perfect father, isn't comparing us to any of his other children. We, you know, perfect parents don't compare their children to each other or anyone else. And, and he just said, I want you to see, I want you to see you the way I see you. And that I see you as you're worth being, uh, that you're lovable, that you're worth dying for, that you're worth being adopted into my family, you're worth being called my child. And, and so last week we kind of left you with the, I dare you not to compare you to anybody else. I dare you. A Walmart dares us to compare. And we said, you know, let's go the other way. I dare you not to compare yourself to anyone else. And it was interesting. I got some interesting feedback. Because um, after, afterwards I had one person tell me, on the way home from church, they caught themselves comparing them, their family with another family on the way home. Uh, and then uh, they thought they better text me that. And some, some wondered, you know, um, they wondered who the people that they compare themselves to. They realized, well, if everybody does it, then those people must be comparing themselves to other people. I wonder who they compare themselves to. I had this one group call me and uh, from their vehicle, and they sang the song Me Too by Megan Trainer. I don't know if you've heard it, but the lyrics are like, I thank God every day. That I woke up feeling this way. I learned the song this week. And it says, I can't help loving myself, and I don't need nobody else. Uh-huh, right? And it's this idea of, you know what? We're not going to compare ourselves with anybody else. Not because Megan said, because Jesus said. Because if you read the rest of the song, Megan goes on to say, if I was you, I'd want to be me too. That's the whole thing. And then she's like, hey, you know, just compare. You'd want to be me. And she gets it all wrong. But, but that part she gets right. And they sang, and, and, and the whole van load of them, including the husband, were singing this song to me. It was wonderful. Uh, incredible feedback. And then, and then I heard the other side. Some described it from like the, the, the pain that they felt from being compared to. They had friends at school who just tear them down with their words because they feel inferior to them. And it's like this thing of they, they say things, you know, you're not as beautiful as you think you are. You know, you're not as smart as you think you are. And it's, it's these hurtful words that, that you know, we're, we're, we're tearing them uh, down the inside simply because those around them decided that they would compare. And so both sides is lose-lose. Andy Stanley said it this way, there's no win in comparison. 
period. There is no win in comparison. Anytime we compare, we lose. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says this. It says, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, but jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Jealousy and envy, that comparing to one another, it just eats you away on the inside. And when we look at that, we're like, yeah, you know what? A peaceful heart, that sounds good. That, that's kind of what we'd all want, right? We, we want that one. But some reason we're drawn to the other one. We wake up and we live our lives looking, looking left and right to see where we're at. And we don't realize it's destroying us from the inside. We all tend to compare to see if we're measuring up, to see if we're okay. Last week we talked about Solomon where you know, it said you know, the, that to compare to others is not wise. Well, Solomon said this in um, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4. It says, and we looked at this last week. But Solomon, is he one of the wisest men in the world, observed people. He says, I observed that most people are motivated to success. They're motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. He said, but this too, it's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. We talked about that a little bit last week. But one of the thoughts that came out from this was, well, if, if most people are motivated to success because of envy, and we're not supposed to be jealous, and we're not supposed to compare with one another, well then, then what? Do we just sort of like forget being motivated to succeed? Do we just like, fine, you know, we'll just sit back, fold our hands. We just, we'll just kind of cruise through life. And if somebody looks at us and goes, hey, you know, you don't have a job. You're like, yeah, well, you know, stop comparing your life to mine. You know, they're like, your parents like, get a job. You're lazy. Stop comparing, mom. You know, Mark said, it's like, I don't need to do anything because, you know, envy, it's, it just rots the bones, mom. And it's like this thought, what are we supposed to do? Well, Solomon, I didn't read it last week, but I should have. Because Solomon goes on with a uh, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 5, and he says, fools fold their idle hands and leading them to ruin. So in one sense, he says, the people that are motivated to success because of their envy is a lose, is a loss. But he says, if you're just lazy and just sort of sit back and like, I'm not going to do anything. He says, that lack of motivation to success, it's going to lead you to ruin as well. So lose, lose again. You're like, well, what do we do? If we're not supposed to do this and we're not supposed to do this, what are we supposed to do? So I want to take a look at the New Testament today to see what God wants us to do. And I want to take a look at a parable um, that uh, Jesus told a ton of parables in, in the New Testament. And parables, I just so, so yeah, have a good understanding of what they are. Parables, it'd be like Jesus sitting around with his disciples. This is probably how, how things went. It says that he sat around with his disciples and he told them these stories. He'd tell, sometimes he'd tell it to the crowd. Sometimes he'd tell it just to the disciples. But he told them these stories that he made up. They're not lies. They're just made up stories. Um, earthly stories. Stories about stuff that happens or could happen here. But it's to, to um, explain something with a heavenly meaning. So he would say things like the kingdom of heaven. You know, the king, you guys understand how stuff works on earth, but it's not quite like that when we talk about the kingdom of heaven. And he'd say, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and he would use all kinds of things. But every time he told a story, he was telling a specific story to a specific group of people with a specific point. And so we can learn from, uh, from what he uh, told them. There's something in it for all of us, but there was this one main thing he was getting at. And sometimes when Jesus would tell a story, he'd explain the parable. Sometimes he, wouldn't, he would just leave it and let it sort of sit there and people would have to think about it. And sometimes you go and ask his disciples, hey, remember that story I told the other day? Like, what do you guys think that means? And they're like, ah, we don't know. And he's like, okay, let me tell you what it means. And he'd explain it to them. Well, this is one of those times where he's sitting around with his disciples only. And he's, he's talking to them and they have questions. He's like, guys, I want to tell you some stuff. And one of them raised their hand. Hey, Jesus, when's the end of the world going to happen? He's like, oh, you know, okay, well, let's talk about that for a minute. And so he begins to tell them, he's like, the end of the world doesn't matter. Nobody knows when that's going to happen. And that last day, that's not nearly as important as all the days from now till then. He says, you're focused on the wrong thing. You guys want to know when's all like the hellfire and brimstone coming? He's like, 
don't worry about that. What matters is what are you going to do today, tomorrow, and up until that point? And so he begins to tell them a couple parables. He tells them a couple stories to illustrate what it's going to be like at the end. And then he tells them this one in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. He says this again. So he's already told them a couple stories. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven's like. He says, he called together his servants and he entrusted, just remember that word, it's really important. He entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on a trip. He says this word entrusted, that means, you know, that he gave them something um, to use, but it wasn't, he wasn't giving it to them so that they could have it for themselves. He's like, this is, I'm not giving you something that's yours. I'm giving you something that's mine. I want you to do with it what I would do with it. I want you to manage it for me. And so it says in, the, in here, the bag of silver, if you read through and you read in a different translation, it says, you know, the, the, the parable of the talents. And a talent is simply just a measurement of money. So he gave them a bag of money. But if this was, it doesn't say gold or it doesn't say silver, but as they were sitting there, he, they knew that there was this measure measurement of money. And uh, so as they're listening, they're like, okay, so this guy gives these people a measurement of money. And so if it was silver, in their day, a talent of silver, just so you know, a talent of silver would be 100 pounds. It would be $32,000 each bag. That's what he gave to them. He gave gave some of them five and some of them two and and one of them one. If it was gold, it would have weighed 200 pounds and the value today would have been $4,285,000 each bag. So he gave them a whole lot of money because I don't know if anybody gave you 32000 even if you're just the one bagger, and he gave you 32000 how many of you would be happy with that? few of you. Yeah, you'd be like, yeah, I'll take some of you. are like, no, no I need, I'm not raising my hand for less than two bags, right? <laughs> I'm not doing that. But, but if, if he, they, they get this idea that for $32,000, he gave them this thing. And then so he says, he says he divided in proportion to their abilities. He gave them, this, he gave them different amounts based on, on their abilities. He's saying like any good manager, he's not giving the most responsibility to somebody who can't handle it. He says, for the guy, you know, this guy, he's one of my star, star guys. I'm going to give him five bags. And I'm going to give this guy two bags. And like, yeah, you're, uh, you get one bag and see, see what you can do with it. So he gives, them, he gives them these different amounts. So they're not all given the same amount. And as you read parables and you hear parables, and when Jesus told parables, you had to ask a couple questions. One of the questions was, where am I in the story? Because the reason he's telling the parable is because it's a made-up story so that you find yourself in it somewhere. So he's like, where, you know, that question you ask is, where am I in the story? And the, and the other question is, where's God in the story? Because he's in there too. And so in this story, I'm going to tell you which one you are. You're the two-bagger. You're the one with two bags because, you know, you're not a five-bagger. I'm not a five-bagger. None of us are that good. You know, we're not like at the top of the thing. There's people who have more money than us. They're smarter than us. They just, there's, there's people on that end. Would we all agree? No five-baggers here? Right on. So but then, now the one-bagger, we've all got people, and we're not going to look around, but there's people who are less smart than us. You know, um, there's people that are more smarter, whatever. You know, they think that they're, they're definitely one-baggers. There's people who have less money than us, more problems than us. Would we all agree that there are a few that we're not one-baggers either, right? We're not on the lowest of low? We're agree- no, some don't, they don't want to agree with that. All right. So... I know a lot of elbowing going on right now for those of you listening online. But there's, 
there's this, this idea that, you know, we're probably not the top. We're probably not the bottom. We're probably these, the people with the two bags. The, we'll, we'll call them the two bagger, right? So um, there's always someone with more, always someone with less. So Jesus is saying, well, good. Now that you know who you are, he begins to tell the story. So in verse 16, he says, the servant who received the five bags of silver, he's a superstar. He began to invest the money. He earned five more. And the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Good for you. But the servant who received the one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. And after a long time, when it says after a long time, when Jesus was telling parables, many times after a long time meant after a lifetime. It was like after a long, long time, the master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used their money. And it's just telling the story, okay, so if you're, the, if you're Mr. Two-Bagger, after a long time, after a lifetime, you have to give an account of, of what you did. And so the question that he's asking them is, what did you do with what you had? When the master calls him back, he's like, what did you do with what you had? And Mr. Five-Bagger is excited. I think my son Link is pretty much similar to this. You know, he's like waiting, you know, waiting for the master to come home. He can't wait to tell him. He had started with five bags. Now he has 10 bags of money. That's like $40 billion or something like that. It's, it's a lot of money, 10 times whatever. Um, math whizzes, help me out for tomorrow. Make me sound smart. How much was that? A lot. All right, so... He's got a lot, and he's excited. The other day, I came home, and I got in the door, and not the split second I opened the door, Dad! And they, somehow they knew I was home. It's like, Dad, 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 Dad. I'm like, well, why? What, Dad? He's, you know, come see what I built. And I'm like, okay, okay, can I just, like, put my stuff down? Oh, no, Dad, come right away. You got to see. It's in the backyard. And I'm like, I got, I, I got all my stuff. I got mail. I got my wallet. I got my coffee held in my teeth. I'm like, okay, where, 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 where are we going? Dad, come, Dad, come, Dad. Come, you got to come see this. And we go outside. It's like, I built a tree for I'm like, you built a tree for it? While I was away this morning, I was like, all right, this I got to see. And I go out to the backyard, and there's one piece of wood across the tree. <laughs> like, I got a tree for it, Dad. We're going to build a balcony on it. We're going to build a roof. And we're going to, it means I'm supposed to build all this for him. He's so excited. And it's like, I think that's that same way that this guy, the, you know, he's so excited for the master to come back. He's like, look what I did. Master, check out what I did. And, and so the master, um, it says in verse 25, it says, a servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver, came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave, but the word gave, that word's the same one. You entrusted me with five bags of silver to invest, and I earned five more. When he comes back, he says, Master, I know when back, way back when, when you left, I know what you did. You entrusted me with your stuff, and look what I did with it. Look what I'm able to give you back in return. He was aware of what he was given and why he was given it. And then in Matthew chapter 25, in the next verse in 21, he says, the master was full of praise. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. And as everybody's listening to this, they're like, the disciples are like, small amount? Jesus, you, you gave him like, you know, $150,000. That's not a small amount. He said, but he said, okay, but anyways, Jesus is telling this story. He says, to the servant, you are faithful handling what I would call a small amount. So now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities, or I'm going to give you bigger things than that. And he says, let's celebrate together. Then the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you entrusted, you entrusted me with two bags of silver to invest. He's just as pumped. He's just as excited. Master, I know what you gave me, and I know why you gave it to me. And now here, look what I've done with it. Look, it, look what I can bring in return. He says, I've earned two more. 100% increase. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
He didn't say, hey, how come you didn't get five bags of silver like the other guy? He simply says to him the same words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the tone of the whole story begins to change. And even though the disciples never heard this story before, and if you were raised in Sunday school or you're just even like a little bit smart, you kind of guess where the end of this story is going. You already know or you've heard it. You're like, oh. But the disciples, they hadn't heard the story. But as they're listening, they realize, uh-oh, wait a second. Those two guys came, and we know how good it was. But the guy who buried it, he's next. And so he knows he's getting called. And they haven't heard the story, but they know it's not going to be good. And so as, as Jesus goes on, it says in verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. You were harvesting crops that you didn't plant. You're gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money. So I hid it in the ground. Look, here's your money back. And we're thinking, you know, it's been a long time. This guy was probably like, wait, the master's back? I gotta go find out where I hid that. That was like eons ago, you know, running around trying to find the bag of money, hope nobody else found it and brings it back. But his response to the master is completely different than the others. You know, the thing is this one, you, you, you kind of you can think, you know, going into his, his head as, as they're handing out all the money at the beginning. It's like, here you go. Here's five bags. Actually, you can't even carry five bags. It's a thousand pounds. Well, you might be able to. But he's like, you know, here's a, here, bring in the oxen trailer and have it follow this guy home with the five bags of money. And then the next guy comes up to him. He's like, here you go. Here's 400 pounds of gold. Here, take this with you. And it's like, actually, you probably need a donkey to take that home. And here you go. And then he comes up to the last guy. And he's like, he's expecting like good stuff. He's like, oh, here you go. One bag of money. It's still 200 pounds. He's like, one, what am I supposed to do with one bag of money? Right? He's like, those guys, of course they could do something with five bags and two bags. What am, what am I going to do? And it, as comparison goes, it's the same thing that happens. All of a sudden we begin to play these different games. One of them is the blame game. It's like, you know what? His response to him is, master, it's not my fault. Okay, I buried the money. You know that, but it's not my fault. You know why? Because you're a mean man. I knew that you were going to come after me. It's like, you know, teenagers' thoughts about their parents, right? It's like, you guys have got it all wrong. You got, you're the problem, you know? And it's just thought of, you know what? You're the one um, who's mean. You harvest where you didn't plant. And, and what, he doesn't, what he doesn't realize is this master entrusted him with his money. It wasn't that he gave it to him and said, here you go. Here's a gift. He's like, I'm entrusting you with, with what I worked so hard for. I, I trust you. I value you as a person. He didn't get any of that. Didn't see any of that. He's like, master, this is all, this is all your fault. And then it, from the blame game goes to the complain game. You know, I, I was afraid. You only gave me one bag. What could I do with one bag? I was afraid I'd like lose and screw it all up or ruin it. So he's, he's, he begins to um, complain. And then the last thought is it turns into the shame game. And, and, and here's, here's what the shame game sounds like. Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. But the master replied, you wicked. And other words for that are worthless and annoying. He's like, you wicked, annoying, lazy servant. If you knew that I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? Everybody else would be sitting around there going, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Why didn't he put the money in the bank? He says, at least I could have gotten some interest on it. And verse 28 says, Then he ordered, Take the money from the servant, give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. And all the Christians and Canadians get all upset about this, right? It's like, What? Why would you give it to the one who had 10? You should give it to the one who had two, right? Like, why, why, why give it to that guy? That's not fair. 
And it's like, this is not a story about fair. For one, I'm making the story up. But for two, says, every smart person is going to give it to the guy who could turn it into 10. He's like, I'm give, he says, give it to that guy. And he says this, those, um, to those who use well what they are given. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as you read this, it's like the master's angry. When this servant comes up, he's like, he's got his one dirty bag of money. He's like, wait a second, where that? I dug it out of a hole. He's like, yeah, it looks like that. What, what were you thinking? He's, and he's, he says it, but you know that the master's not angry at the servant because he did something wrong? He's angry at the servant because the servant didn't do anything. He didn't do anything with what he had been given. And it's this idea, this, this shame game that happens at the end for this one where he says he's tossed out. He hears the words, you, you, you're annoying, you worthless, you useless servant. That servant, he's left with incredible regret. Incredible amount of regret at the end of a long time simply because he didn't do anything. So Jesus' main point in the parable, it's not like some people think, you know, if you're bad with your money, you go to hell. That's what he said, right? If you didn't, you didn't do well with the money, you go where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and, you know, it's, it becomes that type of message. It's not the main point. The main point of the parable is Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. And the main point is this. What you start with is less important than what you do with it. What you start with is less important than what you do with it when it comes to the way God looks at things. See, and for us, as we talked about this idea of comparison, we look at what we have and we think, oh, what we have, it's not enough. I, I compare that with somebody else. If I had what they had, if I could do it, you know, if I had their talents, if I had their skills, if I had what they have. And he's like, what you have is not nearly as important as what you do with what you have. And as he's telling this story to the disciples, for our benefit, it's been preserved and we have it 2,000 years later. You and I are in the story. We're in the story. No matter how old you are, how young you are, we're both in the story. Do you realize that each of us have been entrusted with some things? We've been entrusted with some things in our life. For instance, in the top corner, time. We've all been entrusted with time. It's not ours. We don't get to decide. If it was ours, we could decide how long we would live. And guess how many of you know now that you don't get to decide that? We don't get to decide. We've been entrusted with some time. We've been entrusted, you know, just moving over with some family and some relationships. Those have been in, entrusted in our lives. You know, kids, they're not our own. We don't own them. For you parents who think they're your slaves, you don't own them. They're, they're on loan from God, entrusted to you to raise. You know, you, you have some education that, you know, has been entrusted to you. You've got, you know, a career or a job that's been entrusted to you. You think, oh, no, I worked really hard for that. Who gave you the talents to get that? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And then the money. You know, for so many, this is a hard one. You've been entrusted with that. No, I earned it with the talent he gave you and the time that he gave you and, every, and the job that he entrusted. It's like you're entrusted with a certain amount of money and vision for your life, a dream, a goal of where you want to see yourself. You've been entrusted with that. And then your health. You've been entrusted with, with uh, health and with this, with this body. And then the little duck right there, you know, with the sunglasses. You've been entrusted with that thing that just makes you unique. That one skill, that talent, that really, nobody else can do it quite like you, whatever, whatever that is. You know, uh, and then in the middle, your story. You're the only one who has your story. And for some, you're like, you know, as you look at all this stuff that you've been in, and trusted with, and you, you think, man, yeah, each of us, we're unique. And there's, you're like, yeah, we're unique. Parts of it you like, parts of it you don't necessarily like, but you're unique. 
And most of you know that. You know there's no one else exactly like me on this planet. And some are thankful for that. Some of you are like, yeah, you know, I, I know that there's no one else like me, but who really cares? Teenagers especially, do you realize there is no one else on this planet that's like you? No one is exactly like you. You know, there may be people that look like you. I know on Facebook they have this thing with the doppelgangers where they find people that look like you. I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and somebody at this wedding who I don't know comes up to me. He's like, hey, do you know Jacob Moon? And I'm like, Jacob Moon? That's Jacob Moon. They think I look like him. I used to have hair like that. What do you guys think? So I would agree. Ah, no. Please, No. Then there's these other guys who have these striking resemblances like Daryl and Dick. I know. Twins, they look, but if you know them, they are such different people. Um, we won't tell them that tomorrow. But uh, there's, there's this thought, you know, that even though people look similar, they're one of a kind. And one of a kind, you know, it's, it's, it says there's a rarity when there's things that are one of a kind. I don't know if you ever look at the art, artwork that's one-of-a-kind artwork. It's, it's incredible stuff. But, but the thing is that, you know, not all one-of-a-kind artwork is really that valuable. I don't know if you realize that, you know, the value is, uh, of artwork is based on who made it. So, like, for instance, my child, one of my kids made this artwork, and I'm going to be selling this for $1.3 million at the end of the service. This is House at Sunset by Finley Vanderweer. Amazing. So... This is a one-of-a-kind piece of artwork. And how many of you would like to start the bidding at $1.3 million? Sold to the foolish man in the middle row. <laughs> Nobody's paying that for this. I can say, you know, how many of you give me a buck thirty for this? You're like, I don't even know if the canvas is worth that. But to me, do you know that this sits in my office up on the shelf right above my computer screen where I can see it every single day? Why? Because it's who made it matters to me. The value in this piece, to me, is, is in who made it. As you think about that, you know, if you think about, if, you know, throughout the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2, um, Paul says to the people, he says, you know, don't you realize that we're his workmanship? He's the one who created you. In Psalm 139, the psalmist takes time to say he knit you together in the womb. It wasn't like you just weren't like a product of your parents, you know, maybe think, oh, it was an accident or, you know, it was like whatever, whatever it was. God was forming you, knitting you together in the womb. His fingerprints are all over. You were created by him, created uniquely by him. The value of us is based on who made us. There's an incredible value there. And the value... For some, you're like, you know what? <laughs> That's fine to say the value is based on who made it, but actually the value is really based on what somebody would pay for it. You know, you can say it's valuable because so-and-so made it, but it doesn't really matter unless, unless someone's willing to pay for it. Do you know what's interesting? I was Googling the most expensive painting in the world, and it's this painting right here. It's called Interchange. It's a painting by Willem de, um, de Kooning. $300 million. Serial. $300 million was paid for this painting. It was painted by a Dutchman. I can promise you it wasn't a Dutchman who bought it. Three, $300 million. But can I tell you something? That's pocket change for what was paid for you. When you see and realize that God 
believes that you were worth so much that he sent his own son for you. When that becomes reality on the inside, you realize, wait a second, if I'm that valuable that he made me, but also gave his son, sent his son um, to to die for me, if, if I'm that valuable, why do I need to look to the left at this person? Why do I need to look to the right to this person if if I'm that valuable and realizing, you know what, I'm unique, but I'm unique for a reason. Some of the stuff in your uniqueness you might like, some you don't. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in Corinthians 12, and he said, listen, you're all parts of a body, and I love that announcement tonight, just about the different parts of the body and how, how incredible they are. Paul said to them, do you realize they're all important? You know, if you're just a, if you're a hand and you're like, oh, I wish I was an ear, you know, he's like, why would you try to listen with this? It isn't going to work. Stop trying to be an ear if you're a hand. Just be a really good hand. And if you're an ear, stop trying to pick up stuff. Just listen. It's what, it's what your ear is meant to do. And he's saying, listen, all these parts, we think, you know, oh, if I could only be. He's like, it doesn't make any sense. When it comes to art, nobody wants a copy. He says, you know, he's look at people like, oh, I wish I could be more like them. The benefit and the, the, actually the, all of the value is based on the fact that you are not like them. You're unique. You're one of a kind. And for a reason, there's only, you're the only one who can do what you've been put on the planet to do. And if you're too busy trying to be that other person, what you were designed to do is not getting done. He's saying, you know what? You're unique, unique for a reason. And what you start with, it's less important than what you do with it. You know, the family you're born into, the, the things that you have, whatever that is, it's less important than what you do with it. Our favorite stories growing up and anytime we hear about uh, things that happen, our favorite stories are about people who started with very little and turned it into a whole lot. We have some people here in our church, their stories are, are like that. It's amazing. They turned little things into greatness. You know, we've talked about some of them. Many of you guys know Nick Wojtacek or you've heard of him before. Man born with no arms, no legs. And guess what? As you Google this name, Vujicic, uh, you, you never find a picture of him without a smile. Here's a guy with no arms, no legs. He says, I never met a bitter person who was thankful or a thankful person who was bitter. Nick Vujicic, incredible inspiration to say, you know what? It doesn't really matter what I've been given or not given. It's what am I going to do with what I have? He speaks all over the world as an inspirational speaker and sharing the gospel of good news of of who Jesus is with people simply because he said, I'm going to do something with what I've been given rather than compare what I have with everybody else. More modern day thoughts too. Malala Yousafzai, she used her voice to speak for girls who were desiring education to the point where she was shot and yet stood up for, for, for rights and used what she had been given. Even though she said, you know, there's so many could just accept their lot in life and say, you know what, uh, we, we weren't given as much. We don't get to have an education. We don't get to have any of that. But her story is in, just incredible because she decides, you know, it doesn't matter what I've been given. I'm going to do something with what I have. Helen Keller, b- born blind, born deaf, and she's the first blind and deaf person to earn a Bachelor of, um, a bachelor of Arts degree. First person, uh, blind and deaf to do that limited, 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 but she didn't say, you know what, hey, I guess, you know, this is, this is what I don't have. It didn't matter what she didn't have or did have. She said, I'm just going to use what I do have. Mother Teresa, somebody we can all look to and realize she did some incredibly great things, but she said this, we can't all, or not all of us can do great things. Don't compare everybody to think, you know, you're all going to do great things. She said, but this, we can all do small things with great love. What do you have in your hand to do? Do you know that God's not comparing you to any of them? Tonight, you're like, oh, man, if those people did that, like, now I got to do this. He's like, there's no comparison. But 
the moral of the story is that each and every one of us is going to give an account of what we did with what we had. Each one of us will either have the opportunity to or we're going to have to. It's either we're going to be like a five-bagger or we're going to be like a one-bagger, but either way, we're going to have to give an account. So what will you do with what you've been entrusted with? Ask yourself that question. What will I do with what I've been entrusted with? Our last thought tonight is this. We've been entrusted with a bunch of things, but they kind of fall under these three categories of time, talent, and treasure. Three things. What will I do with my time? What will I do with my talents? What will I do with my treasure? Will I use what he's entrusted to me for what he wants it used for? Will I seek him out and say, God, you've, you've, um, these are the things that are in my life. What do you want me to do with them? You made me good at singing. What do I do with that? God, you've, 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 um, you've caused this interest in my life to, to, know, to be in, in, in this area. What do I do with that? Or will I use what he's entrusted me for what I want? Will I try and find happiness in using it for me? Will I ignore the fact that it's been entrusted to me? Will it be like the one bagger who just says, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to really worry about what God thinks about any of that? Or will I compare what I've been given with what others have around me? And when you compare, you're going to find yourself playing those games miserably, the blame game. You won't say it, but you'll be thinking, God, stuff I'm going through, God, it's all your fault. You know, why did I have to be born in this family? God, why couldn't my parents have stopped having children after me? You know, why, why, why do I always have to struggle? Why, why do I always have these limitations? Why do I have any of this stuff? The blame game, the complain game. God, if I only had what they had, man, I could do so much more than they're doing if you had just given that to me. God, if I looked like they looked, you know, I'd have so much more confidence. Why didn't it go that way? And the shame game ends up happening for all of those in that place where there's no peace along your journey and there's incredible regret in the end. Do you realize that freedom, real freedom, is living for a master who just loves you and who understands that I'm only going to ask and require of you what I have given you? I'm only going to, I'm only going to, I'm not comparing you to anybody else. You don't need to compare. That's prison. Comparing your life every day and trying to figure it out, it's prison. But to be at the chance at the end of a long time, maybe that's the end of your lifetime, it's that idea to stand before God and say, God, here's what you gave me. Here's the family I was born into. Here's all the things. God, here's where I'm at. But here's what I did with it. Here's what I did with it. Here's what you entrusted to me. Here's what I've done with it. And say, well, what about the people on my right and my left? I would encourage you and challenge you. Be inspired by those who you are tempted to measure up to. The ones you look at and think, oh, you know, they, they, they're better than I am. Be inspired by them. The ones you think, you know, it's tend to look at and look down on, I'd say be gracious towards them. But don't get caught wasting time in the trap of comparing yourself to them because it's just lose-lose. You're okay because he says you're okay. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're okay because he says you're okay. We measure up because he made us and he values us, and that's all that it needs. And the challenge tonight is to live the life for him that only you can live. No one else can live that life for him. So we can waste time looking left and right to see how am I doing, how am I doing, or we can just get busy living our lives. God, all I want to do is what you desire for my life. Help me to live that out. Help me to stay focused on you and not what I might be missing out on or, or what I'm doing better than others. Just I want just to hear those words someday, well done, good and faithful servant, that I did with what you entrusted me, what you wanted me to. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your, for your word that is alive, that it's more than just a book, but it, 
grabs our hearts. It does something on the inside of us. Tonight, as we uh, think about these thoughts, there's just a real relief and freedom knowing what you think about us. Thank you for for uh, creating us and for loving us enough to to give your uh, life for us. Thank you for rescuing us when we get it wrong so many times. Father, thank you for that. And Lord, I thank you for your word, which helps us to to live and to live these lives that you've given us in in the way that you desire for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to your voice as we go out from this place this week, that we would hear and, and know what you desire for us to do when we come across people, that rather than compare, that we would connect with them and that we would encourage and that we would uh, we would love and we'd be of the light to them. Thank you for that opportunity. Lord, thank you for this great family. I pray you bless them tonight as they go from this place. May they shine brightly for you wherever they find themselves this week. May people see you in them. In your name and for your glory, I pray. Amen.